0: Thank you, Madhu. If you've got a Bible here at home, t- turn to Ephesians 5 as we uh, look, continue our study of the book of Ephesians. And again, as uh, Madhu has already read for us, uh, Paul is calling us to live out our new identity in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 1 through and 3, he spells out who we are by the grace of God. We do nothing to get this new identity. We do nothing to perform for that identity. It's a gift of grace. And now that we've been given this new identity, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 is calling us to live out of that new identity, to live more consistently with who we already are in Jesus Christ. Now I realize it's the week of Christmas, and I have to tell you... uh, I I think Christmas is a hazardous time for preachers. I mean, the reality is that the culture typically overwhelms the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, I think it's strange, a little bit strange, that the way we celebrate the birth of our Savior, the one who laid his life out for us, is we spend more money on ourselves than in any other month of the year. And of course, when our culture is doing that, In some sense, you you will hear reports that our whole financial situation is somewhat dependent on how much money is spent in December. You realize that the culture has forgotten and lost touch with the real meaning of Christmas. Christmas also can be a mixed bag for us, for a number of us at least. Christmas brings back different memories and emotions, of difficult times, difficult family relationships. In my extended family, uh, for a number of people in my extended family, Christmas was the time when the father of the family got inebriated, bought a whole bunch of presents. They opened them up on Christmas morning. It was an amazing array of presents only to have to return them when he got sober the next week because he couldn't afford those presents. And so Christmas was a mixed bag. Christmas was a mixed bag in other ways, um, I, you know, On a more humorous note, I have played the trumpet for the Messiah that has been performed here at Stonehill and in other places. And in other places, not necessarily Stonehill, I played so poorly on the trumpet, I almost ruined the Messiah, the Hallelujah Chorus. That gives me a little PTSD sometimes when I think about that. This morning, I want to enfold Paul's text here into Christmas. In other words, if we truly understand Christmas, if we truly understand what God has done for us in coming to rescue us from our sin, if we truly understand what Christmas is all about, and in some sense Ephesians 1 through 3 describes what it's all about, it will change us dramatically and powerfully. So what I want to do this morning is look at three realities of the true Christmas, that we would understand that true reality of what Christmas is and what it does to us so that we will live markedly different lives in light of the blessings of Christmas. Let's look at the first reality. The first reality is this Christmas ought to remind us of our new identity in Jesus Christ. That's why Christ came. Look at verses 1 and 2 as Paul outlines the new identity that we have, even as he calls us to live out that new identity. Paul says this, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. He reminds us that our new identity, because Christ came to earth, lived the life we should have lived, died the death we deserved, he makes us into Beloved children, children that are loved, children that are accepted, children that are part of his family. And that is accomplished by grace. That is accomplished through Christmas. He goes on to say in verse 2, and walk in love. And then he reminds us of our new identity as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Yes, Paul's going to cause us to walk in love, but he reminds us of this new identity. Not only are we beloved children, but he reminds us that Christ loved us. How did he love us? He gave himself up for us. Clearly, this is Paul speaking of the substitution that Jesus Christ made. When Jesus dies on that cross, our sins are placed on him. His righteousness is offered to us by grace through faith so that this, this substitution takes place. And what and Paul goes on to say at the end of verse 2, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What's happening here is that, 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 that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross... It's it, it just like a, like a, an actual burnt offering. Is is it, it, the fragrance of that offering is is going up to God the Father, and God the Father is satisfied with Jesus Christ sacrificed. The wrath that should have been on us has now been placed on Jesus, and this is a demonstration of Christ's love. This new identity of being loved in this manner, loved in this amazing way, loved in this incredible way, loved in the fact that Jesus gave himself up for us to take the wrath of God so that we could have a personal relationship with God through him. And now we're beloved children. And it's only out of the new identity that we have because of Christmas that then Paul calls us to action. He says, be imitators of God. He says, walk in love. Why? Because you're a new person. You're different. You're changed. In other words, we have to look at our identity, uh, secured for us through what Christ did, given to us by grace, not what we do, not how we perform. And this grace, which gives us this new identity, is the foundation to live a new life. I think one of our struggles with living out of our new identity is we've forgotten who, that, who we really are in Christ. We've got our eyes on all, 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 a bunch of other things that are now forming us in, 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 in the world's identity or on our own vision of what our identity should be rather than basing our identity completely on what Jesus Christ did for us starting at Christmas. remember as a young child, I, I, I mean, I was, I was a believer in Jesus Christ at the time. But Christmas for me was not about my identity in Christ, if I'm honest. It was about what presents that I got. And I, I remember one year we were in Oklahoma City visiting my grandparents, all kinds of presents. And I got the beginnings of a coin collection. My grandparents had had had, had a bunch of old pennies and they gave me these books with where you could put coins in and I had uh, you know dozens of these books with all kinds of rare coins in them and and I was so excited and I remember getting on the train to go back to Detroit Michigan where we lived in Oklahoma and I was clutching this this briefcase full of these coins as if this was the most important thing in my life I was so scared that somebody would steal this collection I thought I was a millionaire almost Meanwhile, the coin collection was probably worth about $1.37, but I didn't know that. I remember clutching it. I remember every time I left my seat telling my mom, please watch over it. I, my, my whole identity in some sense had been wrapped up in this Christmas present, wrapped up in a coin collection. And even though I knew Christ as my Savior, at a functional level, he was not my functional identity in that moment. And that's why I think Paul is very clear to call us to live differently, to call us to new behaviors based upon the grace of God that's established us in a new identity. I think for a number of us, what might be helpful this Christmas season in the midst of your busyness, in the midst of your traditions, is to remind yourself of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. That is who you are. And if you want to make progress in becoming more consistently who you already are, you need to understand who you already are first. You need to get your eyes on that because that is the foundation for a changed life. I don't think any of you need to try harder to be a better Christian. I don't think any of you need to work harder at that per se. You need to get better at at being mesmerized and being being satisfied and, and, and glorying in the new identity that you already have in Christ. And that is the foundation for living differently. Christmas reminds us of that new identity secured for us through the death of Jesus Christ. That is why he came on Christmas morning. That's the first reality. There's a second reality. I'm going to move to the end of the text uh, to help us, I think, understand the whole text better. I'm going to move to the end of the text, starting in verse eight. The second reality of Christmas that we need to get a handle on is that Christmas reminds us of our new purpose as the people of God. Christmas reminds us of the new purpose we have as the people of God. Notice what he says in verse 8. He goes on, for at one time you were darkness. He's describing our old identity. He even says, you were darkness. Darkness. But then Paul goes on to say, but now you are light in the Lord. In other words, he's, again, appealing to this new identity. But I think he's looking not just at our individual identity. He's looking at the broader corporate identity. Once we were darkness without Christ, now we are light in the world. We are light in the Lord. Then he says, walk as children of light. In other words, live consistently with who God has already made you to be. Verse 9, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. In other words, if we were to walk in the light, consistent with our new identity, we would we would live in, in, in what is good and right and true, would characterize all of our behavior. Verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord because we are the light, because we are in the light of the Lord, because of what he's done for us at Christmas and in his death We need to discern what is pleasing to the Lord so that we can walk more consistently in that light. Verse 11, he says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And this is starting to remind us that we have a new purpose as the people of God. We're not to live like, the, like our old identity. We're not to live like the, 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 the way the world lives, the way our culture lives. We're to walk in the light. We're to live differently in light of our new identity. But part of living in that new identity means that we expose the darkness of the world in which we used to walk. There's a tension which is the people of God walk more consistently in his light we, we shine a light on the futility of our old life and the futility of the life that others are living who don't know Christ yet. But it's not just exposing the darkness. Paul wants there to be more because this is our new purpose. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, verse 11, but instead expose them for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. In verse 13, he begins to expand, not just exposing the darkness, but doing more. He says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. In other words, as we expose the darkness in the world, as we live more consistently with this new identity as children of the light, as those who have been beloved children, as those who have been loved by God who gave himself for us, and we begin to shine a light on our old life and a light on the culture that is in darkness, those things become visible, When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. We bring light to the world. And then he goes on to quote from the Old Testament, um, a, a phrase from the Old Testament, from anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And I think this quote is referring to the reality that as believers in Jesus Christ living out of our new identity, exposing the darkness of our old life and the darkness of the world, we are become a visible manifestation of the beauty of Christ and can bring other people to be attracted by the light as we live out of that light to draw themselves in to become followers of Jesus Christ and of course this is what Paul talked about in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3 the very purpose of the universe is to for Christ to bring redemption to the world to to bring the world back under his authority through the people of God through the church of Jesus Christ the redemption plan of God happens in here and as we live more consistently with who we are we are living out the purpose we have of showing the world what Christ is all about what his love is all about how they can live differently by the power of God's grace and see people come to faith as they see the body of Christ living out more consistently the light and love that should characterize us in our walk together as believers in the church. I dare say that in our individualized American life we don't always see this we often see our individual life well what I do is my own business and if I sin some well who cares no it means that all of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior as we walk more consistently in the light we expose the darkness and we provide a light to draw people to Jesus conversely when we fail to deal In our own lives with the sin that still besets us at times. When we fail to deal with that appropriately as God's people. The light we give off is less clear, less bright. Becomes more inconsistent. Paul quotes a text from the Old Testament in Romans 3. talks about... Uh, in Romans 2, actually, uh, it, it, it talks about the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Speaking of Israel, God's people, when they weren't following the Lord, when they weren't walking in light of their being redeemed as the people of God. They, the name of God was blasphemed among the Gentiles because of their failures. And it's the same with the church of Jesus Christ. I was talking to my dad recently and he was uh, recounting how he came to Christ. And he talks about how uh, he had grown up in the church, but he had never heard the gospel. He was in a church that never preached the gospel. And uh, when he was about 16, a group of his friends, one of his friends at school, asked him to play, play on a softball team. And he said, oh, he thought that was good. So he went to the softball team. He started playing softball. And then they talked about this Bible study they did after practice. And he decided to go. And he 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 didn't really know why he went. But as he was in this Bible study, week by week, as he saw these other high school students who knew Jesus Christ, students who had experienced the reality of grace, they were beloved children. They They, they knew that Christ gave themselves for him. They knew that they were children of light. As he saw the way they conducted themselves, my dad said, he looked at them and said, I want what they have. And I don't have what they have. That's what can happen when we, as children of light, beloved children, having a a Christ who loved us and gave himself for us, we have this new identity and we begin to live more consistently in our new identity. We begin to live out the purpose of we have as God's people of being a light to the world that not only exposes the darkness of our previous life and the the life of the culture at large, but provides an attraction. It makes things visible and it begins to draw people to the reality of Christ because we as God's people are living at that reality more clearly. I think sometimes we don't often think the things we struggle with individually, that what's at stake here is the reputation of Christ. What's at stake here is having the church of Jesus Christ, the body of believers, as we begin to to walk together as children of light, the massive power this could have to help the world see the beauty of Jesus and be drawn to him. So when we think about Jesus coming to earth, to rescue us. He wasn't just to rescue us individually. He was to rescue God's people together so that we, by the power of God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, could walk more consistently as the children of light to show the world the failures of living in darkness, the futility of living in darkness, but also to provide a beacon of hope that draws lost people to Jesus Christ. That's the second reality of Christmas. The third reality is this. Christmas reminds us of the destructiveness of our old life. The life we once lived before we came to faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the middle portion portion of this section. Let's go back up to verse 3. Paul is going to take one specific, uh, really one specific area, uh, the moral purity of the Ephesian believers. He's going to challenge them and remind them that that, that, that while this may have characterized them before they came to Christ, may, and this may characterize the city of Ephesus because of its religious debauchery around moral impurity and, 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 and uh, uh, sort of a, a taking God's gift of physical intimacy designed for marriage and distorting it and using it in all kinds of harmful ways. He reminds us of the futility of that life, the destructiveness of that life, so that we live more consistently as children of light, particularly in this area. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says, he gives a little triad of things to avoid, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as proper among saints. Paul knows that the city of Ephesus because it had the uh, temple of Artemis, the temple of Diana in the middle of Ephesus, knew that it was a debauched place. Their whole religion was revolved around uh, sexual exploitation, sexual promiscuity of all kinds. He says avoid uh, sexual immorality, impurity of any kind, and then covetousness. I think he's talking about covetous, meaning the desire to, to be with someone intimately who you shouldn't be with. You covet someone. It's like the 10th commandment. You don't covet your your, your things that your neighbor has or your neighbor's wife. He then goes on to say not simply the behaviors here, whether that's in our thoughts, impure thoughts, or when that's in impure activities. But he even talks about how we speak about God's gift of intimacy. Verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. He is is reminding the Ephesian believers that in their old life, in the sexually exploitive city that they lived in, it was typical to have impure thoughts, it was typical to have immoral behavior, but it was also typical to degrade the gift of intimacy that God had given to us through our speech, through coarse joking, double entendre, foolish talk, crude joking, filthiness in what we say. Of course, I don't think it's any different in our culture. We may not have temples devoted to this, but we have websites and we have apps and we have a culture that denigrates this gift of intimacy that God has given to a man and woman in a marriage together. It's interesting in our culture, they, they, they seem to look at believers and say, how can you be so prude? How can you, wh- what do you mean intimacy is only for those who are married? It's interesting. You'll get that. But if you get those same people one-on-one in my experience, I've often asked people who've criticized me as a pastor for, for sort of this backwards view of intimacy. And I've even asked them, I said, does it make your life more or less complicated to violate physical intimacy or to have physical intimacy with anyone other than someone you're committed to in a marriage. And almost everyone says, oh yeah, it makes your life more complicated. I mean, you don't need a Bible to say that this is not the right thing to do. But I think what Paul is concerned about is these believers growing up in this debauched culture would not live out of their new identity and walk in love and, and that they might have vestiges of these, this thinking or even behavior or certainly their speech that would not characterize this, the new identity that we have. It's interesting that Paul says in verse 5, you may be sure of this, there, uh, I mean, sorry, sorry, verse 4, let there be no filthiness, foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Paul is saying what we ought to be characterized as people of God is not prudish, but we ought to be rejoicing in the gift of intimacy that God has given us and rejoice in that intimacy given to us in the right context, which is marriage. We should be glorying in that. And speaking of the glory of this good gift and thanksgiving, but not in the debased, debauched degrading of that great gift that God has given us. And Paul goes on to say in verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or was covetous That is idolatry has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, I I don't think what he's saying is that if any believer uh, says something filthy or says something, a, a coarse joke or or thinks or does something immoral, by definition, he's lost to salvation. Of course not. Salvation is by grace. But I think what Paul is reminding us is that when we were trapped by sin, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when we were not redeemed, we, we were trapped by our immorality and we had no share in the inheritance at all. But now that we have been delivered from this place of slavery to sin and have been given freedom in Christ, we've been given this new inheritance. We need to live consistently with the new inheritance that's been given to us. Paul reminds us in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Paul is reminding them it's precisely because of these kinds of sins and misuse of the intimacy gift that God gave married couples. When you misuse it, when you degrade it verbally or in your thinking or in what you do. You're living inconsistently with being those who have an inheritance, who have been redeemed. And Paul's reminding them it's precisely because of these sins that you once walked into that the wrath of God was on you. But now that the wrath of God has been taken from you by Jesus, now that you have been given a new inheritance, how can you go back and live the way you once did, given your new identity? The new person that you have been made to be by grace and so he says therefore do not associate with them do not participate with the culture that debases the good gifts that God has given us and go back to the way you once were because you are now completely and utterly different Some of you may be familiar with this uh, early Christian writing. It was a letter that sort of was describing in the early church in the first three centuries of the church what Christianity was ab- about, and it was a-, a letter describing the Church of Jesus Christ. And here's what it said. Uh, this observer, we don't know who actually wrote the letter. We know who the address he was, but we don't know who wrote it. But this is what they said about the early Christians. He says this, they dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry as do others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. Infanticide was a real issue in the early Roman empire the first 300 years of the church they have a common table in other words they share generously with their neighbors but not a common bed they're morally pure they are in the flesh but they do not live after the flesh they pass their days on earth but they're citizens of heaven they obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws in their lives They love all and are persecuted by all. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are completely destitute, and yet they enjoy complete abundance. They are reviled, and yet they bless. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers, undergoing punishment, but they rejoice because they are brought to life. This means for us, when we think of Christmas, Jesus Christ coming to die, who, who loved us, he calls us beloved children, he rescues us from sin, he gives us a new identity. We have this incredible purpose in the church to live out the light more consistently so we expose and bring others to the light. But it also means when we think about Christmas and Jesus coming to earth, we realize That Jesus Christ came to save us from our old life. He came to rescue us from our old life. He came to rescue us from sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, foolish talk, filthiness, crude joking. The way Paul puts it in Romans 6, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means how can we who died to sin still live in it? There's a sense in which Christmas ought to remind us of the destructiveness of our old life and what it took God to rescue us from our old life. And when we find ourselves being pulled back into that old life, we need to reorient ourselves to our new identity, reorient ourselves to the purpose of the church, to bring light to the world, to repent and to live consistently With the new person we are not to be pulled back to the old life we once lived. These are the three realities of Christmas. Reality number one, Christmas reminds us of our new identity in Christ. Number two, it reminds us of our new purpose as the people of God to bring light to the world. And it reminds us of the destructiveness destructiveness of our old life. All of what Paul is doing is designed to help us individually and together be all that the people of God need to be so that we can bring light to the world. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would challenge us from your word. I pray for each of us that we would reroute our identity in what you've done for us. We are beloved children. You showered us with your love when you gave your life for us. Lord, you've given us an incredible purpose to be light to the world, to expose the darkness and to be a light that will be attractive, that will, that will bring people as you lead them to your gospel through our community as it more consistently lives out the identity we already have. And lastly, Lord, we think about Christmas. It reminds us of the old life we once lived. Feudal, immoral, sinful enslaved you've given us freedom now in Jesus Christ Lord and I pray that when we are tempted to be pulled back and when we do get pulled back from time to time in our thinking in our speech in our actions we will be quicker to repent to receive the forgiveness of God and then be empowered by our new identity individually and corporately in the church to get back to continue to be the light that we need to be for the world so that through the church of Jesus Christ, this world can find the redemption that we already enjoy in Jesus Christ. Help us to that end in Jesus' name, amen.